Yeah, can you hear me? I can. All right. What's going on? Not what too we much. Got? All right. So today uh, the topic is how do we become objective in our thinking process? Yeah, it's a great topic. You want to lead it off or, or you want me to start? Yeah, I can, I can give you a little bit to think on. You know, what I've kind of noticed both with myself and with other people around me is a lot of times we, we have these psychological biases these things that we kind of gravitate towards philosophies and books and ideas that kind of suit ourselves. And it becomes very difficult to figure out whether these, you know, these ideas are actually true objectively for me or just true objectively kind of in the world itself when you're approaching it all the time from yourself. So whatever psychological bias you may have that you may not even be aware of, you may not even see, you know, you're not conscious of, how do you know when you're actually reading something and you enjoy something and determine that it's valuable, that it, that it's objective and that it's not just from your own subject, you know, subjectivity and kind of to suit yourself. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great question. I think maybe the first step is to understand there's nothing sinister here. We're, we all mean good by necessity, by definition. Uh, and, and we simply want to feel good about ourselves. And we see that uh, if we don't like somebody else, right, we're in, a, in the car with somebody that really annoying us, we can say, get out of my car. We have a roommate that we really don't mess with. We can say, I don't want to live with you anymore, right? We, we have a spouse that we don't feel is on our team anymore, is on our side. Divorce, even our children, right? They, they're, they're not uh, kind of pandering to us. We can say, that's it. I'm blocking you. I don't ever want to talk to you again. Our parents don't call me. But who's the only person that we can't block? ourselves our own self right so consequently if we begin to dislike ourselves, <laughs> it's painful it's all it's torturous the more we dislike ourselves the more torturous it is imagine living with oneself and actively thinking i am a monster i'm a piece of dirt i'm a piece of garbage i'm immoral i'm cruel i'm vicious i'm, I'm awful right is that tolerable for us or not no totally intolerable totally intolerable it's an awful uh, awful pain, right? Again, if somebody else slightly annoys us, they cut, cut us off on the road, we're ready to kill them because we think they're a bad person, right? We think they're evil incarnate. So if we think that about ourselves, obviously, we, that, that's no go. And unfortunately, people uh, all the time uh, uh, attempt and sometimes succeed escaping from themselves in their view, right? And we know what we're talking about. But for those that don't, what's the only other solution then? Or there's two solutions. What, what do you think they are? Two solutions on, on liking yourself or? On dealing with, with this issue of, of, of being with ourselves when we don't really like ourselves. Well, you know, I think you probably have to kind of dig down into, you know, your mind and figure out what's going on that you don't like yourself. What, what caused yourself to do that? And, you know, what things are you doing in your life that are not building up your self-esteem, you know, and being uh -huh. a productive member of society? Right, right. So the one approach is to, exactly as you said, is to, to, to question ourselves, to dig deep, and then to make changes. Because the fact is, if we don't work on ourselves, why should we have respect for ourselves, right? People say, oh, I'm a king, I'm a queen. What have you done to be, to, to be a king or a queen? Nothing, right? So it's, it's just ego, egoism and vanity and all of that. So that's one approach. But we notice, unfortunately, that most of us, we live a completely thoughtless almost unconscious life. We certainly never think in any kind of systematic way. And our whole life could go by and we might, might not even think for literally hmm, three, five seconds would be stretching it if we think in our entire life in a specific way, not in an emotional way, not in some kind of voice in our head, but in a real specific 
tangible way. So that's off the table for the vast majority of us. So what's the only other option? If we're not willing to change ourselves, what do we have to do in order to be, tolerate, be able to tolerate ourselves? If someone doesn't want to make change for themselves, I, I mean, I don't know if anything from the outside can do it. Ah, but it's not from the outside. It's from the inside. We change our understandings of what is good and who is good and what is right and what is wrong. You get it? All right. So either we can change ourselves. Let's say we're doing something not good. We have a, a destructive habit, for example. So either we can cut out the habit. If we don't, it's going to be very painful to be ourselves because we're going to think I'm a piece of dirt. So the other alternative is to say it's not so bad what I do. You get it? Right. You're just justifying it. Right. So this is our standard kind of psychological drive. This is what we do is we're not willing and we have no awareness whatsoever, no relation with anything to do with changing ourselves. Excuse me. So instead, what we do is we find an ideology, a worldview, a system of beliefs and convictions and propositions which justify us in our own eyes, that make us righteous in our own eyes, all right? So it, the pitfall of that, well, first off, do you, you, you get what I'm saying? Do you agree? Yeah, I absolutely agree. Right. So the, what, what do you think? Do you see any pitfalls immediately that come to mind with this kind of thing? Well, the pitfalls is you don't know where the end of it is because anytime you believe something or you have a conviction, you're not going to be sure if you're approaching it just to feel good about yourself or to you know, ease your pains. Right. But for most people, that's not a concern. That, that is one thing. Right? I know that's the whole point. It's an unconscious thing. It's not done wittingly. A person automatically assumes that what they're drawn to is the truth. Right? What, what their taste and preferences, our taste and preferences are the truth. What's an example of this in an extreme form? For example, let's say that um, we sit down on a seat and it's, hot, and it's warm from somebody else. Have you ever done that? Yep. Isn't that uncomfortable? Depends if you are already hot or cold. Right. But, it, but even it, nonetheless, if it's somebody else, they, they warmed up the seat. Yeah. I mean, generally, like, it's, you know, you think it's a little dirty. Right. Right. Yeah, right. But for us, we don't mind. Right. Same thing for our own bodily smells, our own other bodily hygienic type of issues. We don't need to get into the details. We don't mind when it comes to us. It's, it's us. It's me. It's good. It's normal. Hey, even the slightest thing from anybody else, that's a problem. Our breath can stink like crazy. But we don't pay attention. Somebody else's breath stinks just a little bit. That's it. Awful, right? It's a, this is an example of it. Or, for example, we read our own language and we never think, wait a second, the reason that I see, for example, a stop sign and I read stop in this case is because I speak and read English. It never crosses our mind. We think that is a stop sign in every possible reality that says stop, right? So without foot, it, it, it would be bizarre to think that the, a person sitting next to us who doesn't read English can't read it. Right. We don't think this. We see objects. We see people. We think they are what they are necessarily in each and every reality. Right. Our mom is our mom, period. Except our mom is somebody else's aunt or daughter or friend or coworker or enemy. Right. And so forth and so on. So we have. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. We're just very you know, I don't know, attached or subjective in our, our view. Right. We don't have a choice. Everything, yeah. our entire, we're, we're ourself. We're a self-existent, closed-off existence to ourself. So anything and everything that, that is us, that is ours, we naturally are drawn to. We naturally have a self-love for it. We naturally accept it, right? So the idea is that every, the opinions that we reach for, the thought that we reach for, the convictions that we reach for, 
it, it, instinctually, it's to, it, it's to support our self-esteem. It's to make us feel good about ourselves. But we don't know that. That's the whole thing. We don't notice it. Just like with the seat, just like with the breath, just like with uh, the, our language and all of that. We don't notice it. So consequently, when somebody, we come across somebody that disagrees with us, especially the first time we get used to things, but the first time it's a completely bizarre thing. It's like, you disagree with me? No way. There's another opinion other than my own, right? It's that bizarre thing. It's like a little kid finding out that his mother is somebody else's aunt or somebody else's friend. It's like, no, your mom, right? Or like seeing our teacher when we're little kids at, at, the, at the store. Has that ever happened to you? Yep. And what, wasn't it weird when you were a little kid to see your teacher out, outside of the classroom? Yeah, I mean, it's not a context that you think they even function and they're just your teacher right, that's right. it. Exactly, exactly. It's like, you're, what, what? You're a teacher and you're in a store? I don't understand. So it's the same thing. All, all our opinions, all our convictions, all our beliefs, it's all tailored for our psycho- psychological needs. And when somebody uh, kind of conflicts with it, somebody says, you're wrong. It's like, what? That can't be. There's no way. And usually since it's all unconscious, we don't know what we're doing. What happens is we double down on our kind of stuff that we needed for our self-esteem needs. And we get we radicalize ourselves, And then we become even more kind of uh, in ourselves. So what's the, the issue here is that our whole good lies with striving toward the light, toward reality, toward objectivity, away from our narrow, petty psychological self. Every single person starts off super psychological, super subjective in their own self, existing purely for their own animalistic emotional needs and desires. But our goal is to, to escape from that, is to strive toward humanity, toward, toward reality, right? So when, when this happens, what the, the downside of it, the side effect is that we preclude that process. We seal it off. We, we, strove for, we, we reach for certain things that we needed to justify ourselves, to feel good about ourselves. Then when it's challenged, instead of thinking critically, wow, I might be wrong, let me reconsider this, we double down, we fight in like a bulldog on a nice steak, and then we seal off that development, and consequently, we, we stop ourselves from ever uh, attaining true happiness, true good, and all of that. You get what I'm saying a little bit? Yep, I do. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's a definite uh thing that goes on in the psychology of human beings and i think it's important to determine whether you're pursuing something because you know it's for your own psychological needs or it's something that is objectively correct and proper and i think even if you are objective there are still psychological needs that a human being has so there still needs to be some foundation some framework some belief system that is suited and beneficial towards a human being and that makes them feel good to operate within. And they may still cling to that and fight for that because again, it still is related to their own sense of self, but it may be an effective system for dealing with reality. Excellent point, man. Yeah. So this is the thing, right? We don't want the ghetto idealistic here unreasonably and say the whole point, the kind of a, I don't care at all about my psychology, about feeling good. It's about the truth. So then we just ask, why is it about the truth? There's a lot of truths. There's a lot of things. So the, the point isn't simply to, to kind of avoid this just to avoid it, right? Because that would be an ego boost, right? It, 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 that, that's all. You look at how objective I am, right? You all are so prejudiced. You all are so narrow-minded. And I'm very objective and impartial. So that's just uh, stroking our vanity. That's not the point either. The point is to say, I want to, to succeed in life, right? Not just in life, like with my job and 
with my apartment or under the bridge or wherever I live or whatever I do. But I want to succeed as a sentient, existent being, an entity. I want to succeed. I want to attain the highest good that I can possibly attain. So consequently, I need to ask myself, what do I need for that? Do I really think that what I need for that is to spin up more and more kind of nonsense of mine that, that's purely tailored to, for me feeling good, right? It's like somebody's trying to get in shape. What do I need for that? Do I really need to do what feels good, which is to sit on the couch popping snacks? Is that really what I need to do? No. I need to go through a lot of pain and work really hard and get in shape. It's the same thing here. Everything naturally that we reach for is tailored to our present psychological state. Right? So what we want to do is we want to understand that my true good lies with the truth. So I'm going to expose myself to criticism, to pain. I'm going to be in a lot of pain for a while until I straighten out my ideas about the world, until I don't hate 90% of people, until I, I'm not a confused kind of striving uh, ball of, of desire nonstop. And then I'm going to feel good. Right? And I'm going to continue moving toward objectivity and reality. And that's what's going to make me feel good. Right now, the reality is painful because I'm out of cahoots with it. I'm not aligned with it. So anything that, that's, that's conflicting with it is going to make me feel bad. I want to get to a point where it will make me feel good, where the truth will make me feel good. You get what I'm saying? So we're not neglecting our psychological needs. We're just kind of postponing them. We're saying, let me suffer for a while until I get everything not, uh, uh, right inside. To so say, until I get my thoughts straightened out. And then um, my psychological needs will be served. If not eliminated, they're, they're going to be perfectly, they're, they're going to be served at a much higher level. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And I think it all just ties back to what one truly wants. You know, if someone wants to go and live under that bridge, you know, they're probably going to have a different belief system than, than someone that wants to be a productive member of society. And, you know, look, I don't know who the one to say something is right or wrong, but, you know, I think that's for all of us to decide. Yeah, so on, on a certain level, that certainly appears to be the case. Why? Because Bob wants this. Bob, Bill wants that. Jane wants this. Alice wants that. Everybody wants a different thing. We can leave it at that, but we can also try to turn our thinking caps on a little bit and push a little bit and ask ourselves, why is it that a person wants what they want? So let's take a given case. Let's say that um, uh, Mr. John Doe wants to be you, you tell me, what does Mr. John Doe want to be? Are you, are you talking about a high aim or a low aim? Anything, anything at all. He wants to go live under a bridge. Okay, right. So Mr. John Doe wants to go live under a bridge. So then we ask, we understand this couldn't have been an initial primal fundamental desire because Mr. John Doe was, didn't know about the bridge, right? Had no such desire. There was a point where there were not even bridges, right? Who were the first ones that built bridges? Maybe the Romans, maybe earlier, who knows? But it, it's not a fundamental thing. So consequently, it couldn't have been that Mr. John Doe wants to live under the bridge just to live under the bridge. So we, we have the opportunity to push further. So we ask, why is it that Mr. John Doe wants to go live under the bridge? You get, Give me an answer, any answer. He may just want to drift, uh, drift about in the present moment and enjoy whatever comes across his way. Right. Why? Why? I mean, look, it may, it may relieve him of the burden of expending effort and, and doing things in the world. And, you know, look, it may be an excuse, okay. but at the same time, he also may just say, I value that more. And he may know and may be aware that there is all this growth and all this understanding and, 
you know, creating things and being productive is all beneficial and trading value with other, you know, members of society. But he may say, that's not for me. You know what? I, I like this bridge. I'm going to sit here and listen to the birds and, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to figure things out as I go along. Right. So what benefit is he deriving then from that? What benefit? I mean, look, he's getting what he desires. If he, if he rationally right, right, but he's decided that, that, that he desires not, that, that's his benefit. Yeah, but let's avoid the circular reasoning because we're saying he desires to live under the bridge. What does he get for, for living under the bridge? He's satisfying his desire to live under the bridge, et cetera, et cetera. Let's break out of that loop and say what, what other desire other than to do with the bridge, which we understand couldn't have been there initially, right? Because he was a baby. He didn't know about the bridge. So initially, what was the desire that the bridge is now satisfying? I don't know. Right. So that's the thing. So if we push and we, there's going to be an answer. And if we, and if it's not the deepest answer, there's going to be a deeper answer. And if that's not the deepest one, there's going to be a deeper answer and a deeper answer. And logic certainly more than suggests to us that we're eventually going to reach a point where there is no further questioning, where we've hit a dead end. Right. So there's a, many different ways that we could phrase what, what this would be. And it's just words. We, so consequently, we can't convey the, the actual reality in the words, we can kind of point to it with our words. So we can say something like the ultimate end is to conceive of the good, is to attain true happiness, whatever we want to say. These are just words. They're inco inconsequential in their own self. But we see that the only reason that John Doe wanted to, to go under the bridge is because ultimately he calculated that ultimately it'll lead him to his necessary desire that was there when he was a baby and always was there even before the any there were any bridges you get you get the reasoning right yeah it had to be created at some point right what what did his desire to live under a bridge because he was under the bridge right but it, it has it, to be there was a time that right, there were no but, bridges in reference to an uncreated desire you get what i'm saying there has to be an initial, necessary, fundamental, mm, call it that, that it, it, everything else is in reference to. Because if we keep pushing hard enough and long enough, we're going to hit it. You understand? Right. And I mean, look, it's probably just related to some psychological need or just desire for happiness. Uh, but, but there's no just. There's no just, right? Because if it, it's a just, then it's not the deepest. Then, Right. Even something such as pleasure. And we say, oh, it feels good to drink some cool water on a hot day. It feels good to eat some ice cream with chocolate syrup and a couple of blueberries and a couple of almonds and uh, maybe a little brownies and cookies too. It feels good, right? But <laughs> we can then just ask, why does it feel good? Why, why, why? In reference to everything, we're going to hit an initial thing that is an uncreated desire. That is a necessary desire. You get it? Right. Yeah, I mean, just that it was it was created. That's what you're saying, right? No, I'm saying it's in reference to what's not created. Okay, so yeah, it's just trying to satisfy something else, which could just be happiness. Right. So, okay, so let's uh, right, remember the words are not the reality. But if we want to use a word like that, again, I, it's really a, a risky thing because we have so many associations. But let's say that we want to designate the fundamental desire as true happiness. Let Just to use those words, not our associations with those words, just to use those words. We will we, we, we then say that John Doe moved under the bridge because he wanted true happiness. You get it? Yep. Right. So then we can test his 
move under the bridge by asking if it really brought him true happiness. And if the answer is no, then he failed, correct? Correct. Right. So you said before that we all have our own thing and we have to think about what we like and we dislike. So let's again, just to use this word, let's say that every single form of life and certainly every single person is striving toward true happiness and nothing but true happiness. So anything and everything that is done can be evaluated in reference to that objective. And we can say who failed and who succeeded. You understand? Yep. Right. So we say there is absolutely an objective uh, kind of a, the, the aspect to, 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 to our system here, to, to reality. It's not merely a question of, oh, this works for me and this doesn't work for me. Right? Because it, it, the, as we're saying now, there's a single necessary desire, what we're going to just call, just call true happiness. So when a person says, I can do what I want and this works for me, who are you to tell me? But okay, but we judge from the results. It, has a person attained true happiness? Right? Have they really truly attained the kind of good, the kind of beatitude, if we want to use that word? And the kind of existence and being that is fundamentally its own justification that needs no justification because it is, it, it's its own justification or not. And what's usually the answer? What the answer is it uh, if someone is happy or not? Right. What's usually the answer for for the uh, the success of our various ventures? Well, is this just a question: Are most people happy or not happy? To use that word, we we don't mean anything, but as we said concerning that word, right? We can use that word. Are fine? Are most people happy or not? I think most probably have more pain and suffering than true happiness. Right. And we would say that most people don't have zero true happiness because if, uh, happiness as momentary burst uh, scenes, right? As, as pleasant scenes. For example, I'm on the beach uh, relaxing. I'm truly happy because I'm supposed to be because it's, uh, you know, the sun is out, the guns are out, <laughs> the, the nice drink, this, that, right? I'm at a movie. If we want to call that true happiness, fine. Then animals also have true happiness. But if we call true happiness something uniquely human, something that is very difficult to attain, then virtually none of us have true happiness. So consequently, we see that that approach of subjectivity, of finding things that work for us psychologically, it doesn't work. It fails. It doesn't fulfill our basic need. And it doesn't lead us toward what we truly want. And that would be then the motivation to try to objectify our thought to try to, you know, deal with a lot of pain and a lot of suffering of figuring out just how low we are, just how thoughtless we are, just how, you know, we, we can keep going, just how we're not who we want to be, we are. And then we can get moving on the right path. You feel me? Yeah, I do. So it might be something like, you know, you're sitting on the beach and the sun is out. That may be short-term happiness in a sense, but in the long run, it's not going to bring you long-term fulfillment or satisfaction because you're not going to be evolving and growing as a human being. Yeah, excellent. Excellent way to put it, man. And we can add a further detail here that this is a slightly kind of maybe off topic, but we tend to, when, when we live purely in our senses, in the different scenes that come about in life, right? And the things we see in here, we think true happiness has something to do with the scenes that I experience, for example, maybe if I live in a very nice home and not under the bridge, maybe John Doe will think, maybe if I move into a mansion, I'm going to be truly happy. Why? Well, just because somehow that's supposed to be a good thing. 
maybe if I have something nice to look at, if I have something nice to hear, I, it'll, it, I'll be truly happy. But we would say that true happiness has to do with the nature of our existence, which is outside of these scenes, a.k.a. outside of time. We are. Right? We are. And the scenes unfold in relation to what we are. So, for example, do you understand that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So you're basically just born with some psychological needs that need to be satisfied in some regard that aren't related to what's going on externally. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a point as well. That's, that's a slightly different point than what we're talking about, but that's, that, that's a great point as well. But here, I'll, I'll give you an example just to get the point across. So let's say, aren't there people that, that want to phrase themselves and be woken up in, in a thousand years or something? Yep. You heard of that, right? This nonsense, <laughs> as always. Uh, but uh, my philosopher stone, uh, the, the, the cheap death, now it's the new thing, right? Freeze myself. But let's say somehow a person succeeds in freezing themselves. They're woken up in 3,000 years, 10,000 years, 100,000 years. Let's presume that the specimen is intact. There's been no, no neurological damage. It's all good in that regard. Who's going to wake up? The same person. get it the 3,000 years worth of scenes have gone by Uh, the the empires have have risen and fallen billions of people have lived and died but the same person wakes up like it's nothing right yep right the same personality the same character the same intellectual development the same mind the same morals different scenes different age same person so that's what we're saying the scenes are one thing and the person is another thing. We can pause the scenes, go under anesthesia or get rid of the scenes. And the person mm-hmm. stays. So true happiness has to do not with what happened in those 3,000 years. True happiness has to do with the person who was frozen. You understand? It yep. has to do with us and not with what happens to us or what's around us. Absolutely. All right. So that's the trick. It's not about we think, okay, I'm going to change this up. I'm going to change that up. I'm going to do that. Change. Yeah, we have to change something up, but it's ourself. We have to change our thought. We have to build a mind. We have to build a a character. We have to assimilate pertinent ideas concerning ourselves and other people and the world and what it's all about. That's how we really change and attain true happiness. And there's not a billion ways to do it. It's not anything goes. It's not anything goes. That, that's the issue with that kind of view. That dies, whatever. I, we, we can do whatever we want. Yeah, we can, but we're not going to attain what we truly want. Make sense? Yep. Anything to add or any, any follow-up questions? No, I think I'm good for today. All right, man. Sounds good. Appreciate it. And, All right. uh, thank you. Thank you for listening to uh, any listeners. Thank you.